It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Wow, get ready, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show coming your way, the Friday edition. Heather now, a former spokesperson for the State Department, and she is a former anchor at Fox News. She's going to be with us. You know what she's been doing behind the scenes? Helping get Americans and our allies out of Afghanistan. Her years at the State Department gave her great contacts, and she cannot believe And I'll let her describe how much this government has just stiff-armed gave the Heisman to people left behind in that country. And Congressman Henry Cuellar, he has done fantastic work for the country, trying to get the Democratic Party, his party, to pay attention to the disaster at the border. He has not had success, but it's not because he has not tried. Henry Cuellar uh, of Texas will be joining us live. But first, let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. It's a movement to stand up for Virginians, for parents, and to reject government control. And Terry McAuliffe has demonstrated that he cares more about his own career than he does for Virginians. This is our moment as Virginians to come together. We're winning the independent vote by double digits. We have Democrats walking across the aisle in droves. It is true now, and we're seeing it in the polls. Glenn Youngkin, a stunning turnaround. The rookie Republican in the blue state of Virginia goes from long shot to leader in the Virginia governor's race. If it's real and it holds what already what it already means for the Democratic agenda and President Biden's teetering administration. Number two. We've had a lot of our members that have been seriously ill and recovered and have the antibody levels. So that's just the service we've given to the citizens and residents of New York City. And the mayor hasn't given us any deference or even uh, treated us the same as anybody else. We're being treated like numbers on a spreadsheet. It's a joke, a mandate mania to cost firefighters, cops and city workers their jobs and their careers over a politically driven, un-American mandate for the vaccine. It's time for Biden and de Blasio to do more than just blink. Number one. It's a framework that will create millions of jobs, grow the economy, invest in our nation and our people. Turn the climate crisis into an opportunity and put us on a path not only to compete, but to win the economic competition. (laughs) No one got everything they wanted, including me. But that's what compromise is. Not delivering. That's how I describe what the Dems have done to this reeling president, Biden, as he lands in Italy for the G20. He wants a massive spending bill, two two of which... And he's gotten none. What's the bill? Who's out and who's in? And why passage means America loses. So uh, first off, uh, I have to tell you that we do not know where these bills are going. Just to review, $1.2 trillion bipartisan, 19 Republican senators voted for it. But inexplicably, uh, the left said, I'm not going to even take a vote on the House bill, even though you probably would have got 50 on the Senate bill, even though you probably would have got at least 50 Republican votes in the president could have said three months ago, I think at least three months ago, I, I got this I got this infrastructure bill passed, Donald Trump did. Okay. But what happened is the left said it's it's not enough. And I'm only gonna pass that if you promise to pass everything that they negotiated out. Republicans said you're never gonna do that. I mean that's disingenuous. If you do that, that means what was I negotiating for? But it's sat and it's sat and it's sat. And then Nancy Pelosi promised to vote three weeks ago, it's sat. And now the president wants to vote on both the reconciliation bill at $3.5 trillion and the 
And then two senators put up their hands and said, I, I don't want all this green spending. I don't believe the corporate tax rate's got to go up again. I don't believe that the top, top tax rate should go up again. I also don't think that we should be uh, spending all this money on long-term child tax credits. I also have a, a huge problem with some of the green agenda in this. In Joe Manchin case and Kristen Sinema's case, they said the corporate tax rate makes us uncompetitive internationally. Please tell, but tell us how that helps us anywhere. And Joe, but Joe Manchin says, I'm from Energy State. We're not ready to run on gas and electric. We don't have the rare earth here. I don't want to take out a loan from China. In the short term, I don't want to depend more on the Middle East. You see where that has gotten us in the past. So they got nothing. So yesterday... In a delay of game, President Biden says, listen, I got this framework. It's 1,600 plus pages. I got to go explain to this to these House members what this means to me. So he went over there and he delayed his flight. And guess what? He seems to have gotten absolutely nothing. Nothing. Now, at this hour, something could change. But right now, Nancy Pelosi promised to vote on Thursday. The vote didn't happen on the $1.2 trillion. In fact, she was told, get this, there was a progressive caucus meeting. She walked into it and was told to leave. And her answer was, well, I was leaving anyway. Really? You were leaving anyway? That's the way you talk to the speaker. Everyone lauds the speaker. She's so powerful, and she happens to be a woman, according to reports. So now she is going, everything she wants to get done. So when things fell off the fell off course again, came off the rails again three weeks ago, no one talked about it. Nancy Pelosi says, I want this vote on Thursday. We'll have a vote on Thursday. They said, no, we're not going to do it. And then when she says, can we get the vote on Thursday? They said, can you please leave? No one's even reporting this. So let me tell you what's uh, out. Drug pricing, Medicare for dental and vision, billionaire's tax, paid family leave, clean electricity performance program, free community college. What is in? Expansion of health care coverage. That's Obamacare. $150 billion for affordable housing. They said it's the biggest Investment ever. I, I don't know how that pays off, but earned income tax credit, child t- uh, credit extended for one year. They believe after a year, if Republicans stand up and say, no, uh, you know, we can't continue to afford this, our economy's back on track, they're going to say, well, you just don't like children. Uh, more financing for Pell Grants, $100 billion for immigration. Yeah, they're, they're sneaking in immigration. Clean energy tax credits, taxes on corporations, IRS, and free preschool. The three- and four-year-olds, nothing better than federally government-run preschool. They are great at handling your three- and four-year-olds. So where are we at now? It could fail. Jim Banks, veteran, uh, on Laura last night, cut six. Just like last month, the Democrats remain in disarray today. Joe Biden wanted so badly to go to Europe and brag to his foreign leader buddies that he passed a Green New Deal bill today. But the Democrats didn't give him that victory, and thank God— But it's too premature to declare victory because at 2 o'clock today they came out with a framework for the new bill. And I can tell you the Republican Study Committee, which I lead, we've been sifting through the bill all afternoon. And it's just as socialist as the framework that they had before. Yeah, and the Wall Street Journal broke it down. They said it's going to be all paid for. Listen to – I don't want to take up too much time from Heather. But listen listen to what President Biden said. It's all paid for. All paid for. Uh, let me see. What's the best one here? Cut one. After months of tough and thoughtful negotiations, I think we have an historic, I know we have a historic economic framework. It's a framework that will create millions of jobs, grow the economy, invest in our nation and our people. 
turn the climate crisis into an opportunity and put us on a path not only to compete, but to win the economic competition of, for the 21st century. No one got everything they wanted, including me. But that's what compromise. Funny, that's what compromise it is. With your own party, that's not what compromise is. And he says zero, it'll reduce the deficit. That's right. $1.75 trillion, $1.2 trillion in a country that is running $28 trillion over budget annually, at least $800 billion over budget. But this is going to reduce the deficit. But listen to the wild left. This is what President Biden has to deal with. And I worry that there's going to be more of this mindset coming into Congress. Listen to what they were saying last night about the 1,600-page framework. We need a little bit more than, uh, than an IOU. I felt a little bamboozled because this was, not, this was not what I thought was coming today. We need to keep the promise. That was made. We've been very clear. We need to see the two bills simultaneously move together. Progressives have done our work in getting everybody to a place where we endorse the framework that the president laid out today. So that was Jay Apal. Uh, she's uh, loving having a little bit of street cred. And Joe Biden has given them a lot of uh, time, more than the moderates. So Senator Manchin, Senator Cinema holding out. We don't know how long. Indications are that Senator Manchin would go along with it. That according to one report. So when we come back, I'll talk to Heather now about what's going on in Afghanistan. We're not going to forget about everybody left behind and the disaster in which President Biden pulled out of that country, and then Congressman Henry Cuellar on the horrific scenes of thousands of people coming to our border daily, getting in and staying in. How does that help this country? It doesn't. Henry Cuellar on what the responsible thing to do is. Back in a moment. Challenging conventional thought and wisdom. You're with Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a -a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com path. A talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. But somewhere along the way, we stopped investing in ourselves, investing in our people. America is still the largest economy in the world. We still have the most productive workers and the most innovative minds in the world. But we've risked losing our edge as a nation. We can't be competitive in the 21st century global economy if we continue to slide. That's why I've said all along. 
We need to build America from the bottom up and the middle out, not from the top down, with the trickle-down economics that's always failed us. I can't think of a single time when the middle class has done well that the wealthy haven't done very well. I think of many times, including now, when the wealthy, the super-wealthy do very well and the middle class don't do well. President of the United that's States. why I propose the investments Congress is now considering. That's, that's the President of the United States rambling on about a program we don't need. But I want to talk about something the President wants to avoid, and that is what's going on in Afghanistan, what he left behind. Uh, the, one of the poorest nations uh, on its heels, run by terrorist organizations with Americans still in that country trying to get out. Heather Nauert knows that well, spokesperson for the State Department uh, for a couple of years under President Trump, longtime anchor here at Fox News. Heather, what have you been doing to help those left behind? Hey, Brian, great to be with you. Um, this is such a disaster, as your listeners know, um, and it's a disaster that's still unfolding with people beginning to starve to death just as the winter months uh, creep in very, very quickly. Um, I've been working with various veterans groups, including Task Force Pineapple, to help facilitate folks getting out of Afghanistan. And these are vetted people who worked alongside the United States, who love the United States and our ideals, and trying to get them out. Sadly, that's all being done through private efforts, and the State Department just announced a new program earlier this week um, called uh, the, the Safe Circle Program or something to that effect, where all this burden is being increasingly shifted to private groups. So the administration has really washed its hands of Afghanistan, and that is a, a tragedy. More people are going to die, and the United States security will be at greater risk. Heather, how are they getting away with this? I mean, what do you mean? Are they giving giving more money to outside programs? Yeah, so um, State Department just announced this thing called Sponsor Circle. Um, it's all over the Internet right now, and the administration's really excited about it. And it's basically, if an Afghan comes to the United States and you and I want to sponsor this, this Afghan family, we can do it. But that's the job of the U.S. government. Look, I'm all about private sector and individuals sure. stepping up to help people in need. But the U.S. government is pushing this all to these private organizations now. And it is just such a shame. I keep hearing from folks in the administration, people I served with and others, that Biden doesn't want to see or hear anything more on Afghanistan. And that's why we're seeing everything being shifted to the private groups, whether it's getting people out on flights, whether it's providing people with safe homes uh, to protect them when they're in hiding from the Taliban, to resettling here in the United States. It's all on the backs of veterans and these private organizations now. And that's just such a shame. It's a shame, and it's, it's, it should not stand. I mean, the way we left, uh, when, we heard, when you heard uh, the Secretary of State say about 100, a week later about 100 <laughs> left behind, what number do you think is more accurate? Oh, Brian, hundreds, thousands. Um, and the administration has failed to mention, and this is something that I've worked for months on, helping U.S. service members, active duty U.S. service members, get their immediate family out of Afghanistan. Can you believe this? So we have young men who are active duty here in the United States. They were born and raised in Afghanistan. They worked as translators for U.S. forces for years. They moved to America, became citizens, joined our military, and they can't even get their families to the United States. So I've been working hard with the members of Congress to fix that issue. We're making a little bit of progress, but that to me is the biggest shame. If we can't take care of our own service members' families and get them out of Afghanistan and protect them, we are totally lost as a nation. 
I would think so. Who are the, from what you could tell, Heather, are the, the Afghans that made it here, have they been vetted? Mm. Yeah, so the U.S. government will say, yes, they have. But I, I think it's more like 50-50. So there are people that U.S. forces worked alongside, right, who had effectively a security clearance because they worked with us and they had been vetted and biometrics and all that. So those people are here. We have vetted them in the past. But there are a whole bunch of folks that the Biden administration just said, hey, show up at Karzai Airport. We'll put you on planes. And they've not been vetted. And so I think there's a lot of very legitimate concern about whether or not some of those folks are going to assimilate well in the United States, how they're going to adapt, and who, in fact, these people are. And so I think when we start to hear about these unfortunate situations at some U.S. bases, it's highly likely they're from that what I'll just call largely unvetted group. Again, we're working with the people who've been vetted, who worked alongside Americans, but you know there are a lot of others who were just thrown on a plane, and frankly, we really don't know who they are. So I also talked to other people that have been trying to deal with other countries. We can't get ambassadors. Yeah. For example, like the stands, Tajikistan has said, okay, I'll help you. You can use my airport to fly people in and out. But the U.S. ambassador is not responsive. Has the State Department been told just stop working with these outside groups? Yeah, so, um, you know, there are some groups that are still getting people out on flights, which is great. Um, there are some groups that are increasingly looking to overland options to get people out by bus and over the border to other countries. But increasingly, those other countries, whether it be Uzbekistan or others, are saying, no, we're not going to let you in. And so at a time when there's starvation, the Taliban is hunting and murdering people, um, and winter is coming, these overland routes are increasingly unlikely. So your question of what are the ambassadors doing, frankly, they're following the direction of the White House. Everything stems from the White House. And if the White House says, we're not going to do this, if Biden says, I don't want to hear anything or see anything more on Afghanistan, well, then, frankly, the State Department and others will take their directions immediately from the White House and um, do exactly what the Biden administration is telling them to do. It's a joke. Uh, did you you know, there's a big push for President Trump. He wanted out of Afghanistan. What were your interactions yeah. with the president and with uh, Mike Pompeo and I guess Rex Tillerson, the bulkier time about Afghanistan? <laughs> yeah. Um, good memory, Brian. So um, the time that I was there Afghanistan was not such a large emphasis. Um, we were working largely on North Korea, the Iran nuclear deal, and other things. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan, but you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. But Afghanistan was certainly something in the background. Uh, President Trump, and I can't reveal too much about our private conversations, but President Trump really felt that the U.S. did not have a rightful place in operating in Afghanistan because um, it was just, such a difficult country to operate in, you know, the, the graveland of nations. I disagreed with President Trump's approach on that. I firmly believe that we should have kept some small presence to just better keep regional stability and let our um, adversaries know 
that we're not giving this up, that we're serious and we have eyes on the situation, whether it be, you know, Al-Qaeda coming in there and ramping up or ISIS or whatever. So there were a lot of points that I disagreed with, um, you know, President Trump on his policy on Afghanistan, but largely, you know, the uh, you know the Trump administration wanted out and right, but I they would have they would have done it like this. I'll tell you that for sure. No, yeah. no, and you know when I worked for President Trump, we brought Americans home. Gotcha. We brought people home. Heather, I'm up against a break. You understand that from your anchor days. Thanks so much for everything you're doing. It's always great to hear from you. Thank you, Heather. Brian, thanks. You got it, uh, Congressman Henry Cuellar. Talk border in a moment. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. Welcome back, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Privileged to have with me right now. Uh, Congressman Henry Cuellar. He actually went to Washington to do what's best for the country and his people, not for his party. And he does it on a regular basis, and it's got to be frustrating. Congressman, uh, welcome back. Thank you so much, and I hope you're doing well. Yeah, Congressman, I guess we were on the border a couple of years ago, three years ago, maybe. Uh, maybe a little yes, less. we were. Yeah, I was down there a sure. few times. Uh, what has happened? It looks like a total collapse. What are you seeing? Well, you know, certainly, uh, you know, there are push factors and pull factors, uh, but the uh, pull factors, what policies we have here certainly have an impact. If uh, the president of Mexico and the president of Guatemala are, are saying that the that the impression has been given that the borders open, then you certainly know what the local, uh, I mean, you know, what the uh, you know the local folks or the people in Central and South America are thinking that that, that it's borders. So I'm glad that the Title 42, uh, which is where we expel people for health. Uh, reasons is still there. Um, the MPP, uh, as you know, the um, the administration is reluctantly uh, putting that in place. Remain in Mexico? Uh, yes, yes. And are you for that, Mexico. Congressman? Were you for the Remain in Mexico? I, yeah, I, I support it as long as we do more to, to provide security for these folks that are over there in Mexico. Because when, when President Trump was there, the biggest concern was that um, – there was no security. Well, my, my solution was very simple. Uh, the U.N. High Commission of Refugees is in some of the toughest places in the world. Have them be down there. Have them provide the security while people are waiting uh, to ask for asylum. Because, look, Brian, you know this. If 100 people come before uh, an immigration judge, a judge is going to reject 88 to 90 percent of those cases. So why are we allowing one hundred percent of the people in when we should be allowing only 10 to 12 percent of the individuals. And Congressman, I mean, you're a Democrat getting elected uh, every time you run by a Democrat district. People think this is anti-Hispanic. I think we're over that. It has nothing to do with heritage. If it was coming through the northern border, we'd feel the same way about the people coming through Canada if it was a different situation. Nothing to do with uh, race or heritage. It is just controlling the border and making the system work and the people that are doing it right have to be, almost feel like suckers because they're actually paying, taking tests, applying, waiting, filling out uh, different forms to make sure that they get in legally. But right now, we understand. You tell me if you agree with these numbers. Out of the 1.6 million that have come illegally this year, over 600,000 are still here. 
Uh, I think those numbers are correct. And, 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 and the thing is, and then if you apply an immigration judge analysis to it or, or a decision, uh, you probably will be uh, looking at really 10 to 12 percent of the people that should be here out of those numbers. Because, again, if you have 100 people in front of an immigration judge, he or she is going to approve only 10 to 12 percent of those asylum cases. So my question is, why are we giving those people false hopes? Uh, when that's the case. Right. And look, let me address something, Brian, that you mentioned. Look, my father was born in Guerrero, Tamaulipas. My parents, you know, family come from Guerrero. They became legal residents. They then became, uh, my father became a naturalized citizen. He followed the process. It took him a long time. So there's a lot of uh, uh, Hispanics, uh, and my district is uh, over 80% Hispanic, that you know have that same type of uh, family situation where they followed the legal way to come in. And when they see people just jumping the line and just coming in, uh, even Hispanics are saying, this is not right. This is not right. So you're right. It has nothing to do uh, with, uh, with um, you know, black Heritage, or, yeah. or anything. It, it all has to do is just you just follow the law, follow the law. So I think you've. Uh, I think you could. Pre, uh, I imagine. I don't want to put words in your mouth. You can appreciate our reporting at the border between the drones. We're able to see over top uh, between our people who are going with the migrants. One of which is Griff Jenkins. He went as far as down as Panama, and he's been reporting along the way as caravan after caravan are coming here, and he's talking to the ones he can. Listen to his re- most recent report. We're in the town of Huehuetan, 16 miles north of Tapachula, where this caravan started. You can see them, some children playing on a swing set. But we're seeing a lot of families, a lot of children out here. And we're seeing migrants from many different countries, not just Central America, which was what was the situation in 2019, that northern triangle of Honduras, Guatemala, El Salvador. But we see Haitians in here. We even met one woman from China that we couldn't speak to her because she didn't speak Spanish or English. Every migrant we talked to today said they've got one destination in mind, and that's the United States. So what do we do about this? I mean, and the numbers aren't just 100. It's not a dozen. It's dozens. And I'm seeing people that don't look like they're broke. You know, some of them look like they're, they're almost middle class people who just are choosing another country. Wheelchairs, strollers. You're seeing these images, right, Congressman Cuellar? Oh, yes, of course I have. And look, and we know uh, we have intel of all these people, whether it's from the government or through just, you know, reporting like, you know, your folks are doing. We know that the people are coming here. They know that, uh, you know, we've known this for a long time, uh, just like when the Haitians were coming in. We knew that they were coming in. It, the problem is that the administration couldn't make up their mind uh, as to what uh, action to take. And before they knew it, 15,000 people were in Dorio, uh, almost a third of the population of Dorio, Texas. So we know this, and we know that, for example, uh, uh, Haitians are coming in from Chile and Brazil. In Chile, they got their asylums uh, given there. They used the paperwork to cross the different countries. And then, and then uh, before they come here, they throw those carts away. But the bottom line is, if they were given asylum in a country, their fear was taken away. So why are we not taking action when we know that this is, you know, this is happening? So, so we know a lot yeah. of this info before they even get here. You're being kind when you said they didn't make up their minds. By not doing something, you're doing something. You're allowing it to happen. Congressman, if you really want to solve this problem and you're a Democrat, 
It's you call up Congressman Cuellard, a very successful Democrat in the area, who goes on his free time to talk to Border Patrol without any cameras around, just to get the answers, not to play political games. So why they don't not not only do they not call you, they don't visit you when they come to the the district. They don't let you know they're even there. What why why is that? Well, they're doing a little better now. At the beginning, they were doing that, coming into my district and not even letting me know, and I'd let them know about that. But look, the bottom line is this. The bottom line is, look, I supported Joe Biden for president. He's the most centrist person candidate running. But the problem is, in my opinion, is that he has surrounded himself, at least uh, on the immigration issue, with people that have backgrounds in, uh, uh, I'll call them immigration activists. And they're given their perspective. And the problem is, that's only one perspective. What about the perspective of the border communities, the borders that I represent? What about, I, I, you know, what about the landowners? I got a call from this landowner two days ago. He was so frustrated. He, he texts me later. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You know, you know, letting out my frustration. I said, no, I want to hear from you. Um, you know, so they're not listening to the border communities. And most importantly, also, they're not listening to the men and women in green and blue. Somebody has to have their back, and, and, and when you have the political people that are giving advice to the administration that is only one-sided, that's not fair. Now, I would say that I think the administration gets advice from career people and from this political appointees. The career people in Homeland and other places, they get it. I talk to them. They get it. But – you know, you got political people that make those type of decisions, and it's unfortunate that they're not listening to the career people, the men and women in green and blue and other uh, folks that have been doing this for so many years. But, but they need to listen right. to those people. And not only that, the, the message is, and you know we're getting these interviews and you're hearing it and you speak Spanish. They're coming here because they're wearing Biden-Harris T-shirts. Uh, Joe Biden's a great guy. He's going to let us in. Now that he's president, that's why I'm coming. That's the magnet. And they've done nothing to stem it. They've you got to go in there and, 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 and threaten some people. Hey, guys, keep your population down. I'm not just going to write you a blank check. I'm going to stop with the aid unless you get control of your border. We should bulk up our consulates, maybe give people an additional opportunity to apply for asylum. We'll, flood, we'll, we'll, get, we'll attend to... Your population that wants to apply, but we need them to do it in their country. The minute they show up, they're going to be rejected. Listen to uh, – so Texas, your Texas, is taking things into their own hands because the government is doing what you said what they're doing, which is nothing. Listen to what Bill Malusian is saying is happening. The state of Texas is now preparing for this migrant caravan. Governor Greg Abbott is deploying massive amounts of Texas National Guard resources down to the Del Rio International Bridge area. This is the exact same area where we saw those 15,000 Haitians last month. The idea behind this being the state of Texas will step up where the federal government is not securing the border. They say they will not allow another Del Rio situation to happen, so they are pre-positioning resources all along the border there to send the message to those caravans. You will not be allowed into Texas. Texas DPS telling us, unlike the federal government, they will not roll out the red carpet for these caravans. So, Congressman Henry Cuellar, is the Republican governor doing the right thing? Well, look, this job belongs to the federal government. And the federal government, even though our career people want to do the right thing, there are people in in D.C., uh, in the administration, that unfortunately, unfortunately, don't want to do what President Barack Obama did, uh, and that is you treat the immigrants with respect and dignity. But 
at the end of the day, you follow the law. And by following the law, you have to show repercussions. That means you will uh, give them the due process and then you deport them because most of them are, don't have a right to be here. And if you don't deport people, then what's going to happen or you don't follow the law, you don't have consequences. I, I, I'll show you this. You're showing, you know, you know, your reports have shown people coming in. Tell me how many times you've reported people going out, being deported. It's it's, you know, nobody Are does there? that. And that's the problem. They don't do that. And they have to follow the law. Follow what President uh, Barack Obama did. He actually deported more people than President Trump did, uh, for the record. But he treated people with respect and dignity. But he followed the law and said, if you're not supposed to be here, then you need to go. If you don't show that, uh, that those consequences, then the, the perception and it turns into reality, and that is – all I have to do is show up at the U.S.-Mexico uh, right. border, and I'm going to come in. So I just want to be clear. Are you saying that we should do a better job showing people being turned around, or are they not being turned around? You're, you're saying they're not being turned around, that, uh, and you're, you're not saying that we're not shooting it, right? I mean, taping it. No, no, no. no. I'm not saying it's you all. I'm, oh, I'm just saying okay. that I don't think— Because no, I would love to all. see that. No, no, yeah, of course. And that's—you know, when Secretary Jay Johnson was there, I used to tell him, Hey, we got to show people going back because if you only show images of people coming in, then it, it, it's, you know, people think that it's, it's, you know, the doors are open. So he purposely uh, would show people being turned and flown into uh, Honduras and other places. Here, this administration is afraid to do that. Do they turn people under Title 42 and, and other? Of course they do. But they don't want to show that. And, and, and right. actually, not only do they not want to show that. But they're allowing too many people under parole. That is a prosecutorial discretion, where they're, you know, they're not even given a notice to appear. They're all they're given is, hey, it's appear at ICE, and then when you appear, well, then we'll give you a notice to appear before an immigration judge. They're doing things that they are, in my opinion, it's allowed under the law. But under the circumstances, all you're doing is you're you're giving the impression of course. Uh, that uh, that the borders are open and and the perception turns into reality. Hey, the perception right. turns into reality. And by the way, we're in the middle of a pandemic. We're about to let 20,000 firefighters and cops off the job because they didn't get vaccinated, many of which have natural immunity. These people are flooding in from other countries. We, They say on the average 20% are sick with some type of illness, let alone the pandemic, which has riled the world. So you have every opportunity to have political cover and to see, I don't know how you feel about the fence, but the fence saves manpower when it comes to the Border Patrol. And to see that we paid for it and it's sitting there rusting in the open field is really agonizing for me and I think a lot of people listening. Well, I think we disagree on the on the fence itself. I'm a big supporter of Border Patrol. But remember, the fence, uh, Brian, and you've been down there, is usually put about uh, half a mile away from the from the riverbank. So the people that are coming in, once they touch the riverbanks and walk up uh, half a mile to the to the fence, they won't stop them because they can ask for asylum. Again, it's the policies that we need to have in place to uh, return people and uh, allow only the ones that are supposed to be staying here. Yep. you got to have personnel pay pay the Border Patrol, give them the support, have their backs. Uh, and like you said, you got to get Mexico and the other countries to do more. I saw the videos where they broke in, in Chiapas saw that. the uh, yep. National Guard, uh, but then they let them in. No, you if they break, you regroup. 
you intercept and you send them back. You regroup, you intercept, and you send them back. Mexico can do a lot more than what they're doing now. Right. And for some reason, that socialist president uh, was, and he and Trump hit it off, even though Trump's first thing he did is said, I'm going to tariff you guys until you get your border under control. I thought, okay, there goes that relationship. It ended up flourishing. So there, there is a way to deal with these countries, but ignoring them is not good. Ignoring how you left Afghanistan and our people left behind is not good. The problem doesn't go away. And the last thing I say to you, Congressman, politically, he's got 23 percent approval as it relates to the border. How does this help your party when the president's got 23 percent approval? Obviously, there's a political will to change things. He's not taking advantage of it. And final thought on that? Well, you know, certainly on the issue, on the polls, on immigration, I have told the White House over and over and over again, I said, I I think we're reading the same polls. If, you know, if you think open borders is very popular, then you're wrong. In South Texas, I can tell you open borders is not popular at all. I represent a Hispanic district. I talk to people and I will tell you that they tell me, hey, Uh, secure the border, secure the border. And remember, I'm talking to a lot of my constituents that are Hispanics. Now, let me say one more thing before we go, Brian. We're focusing on Mexico on the border crisis, but there's something else in Mexico that we need to look at. Before, I think by the end of December, they want to change the law that is going to put uh, our American energy companies at a disadvantage. AMLO is making some changes that's go- that's going to have an impact on our American companies. So it's not only the border issues that we're dealing with Mexico, but I emphasize there are issues where they're changing the law in Mexico to affect our American companies, and that I think it's a violation of the U.S. Uh, trade agreement, right. uh, uh, the uh, NAFTA 2.0 so we- between the U.S., Mexico, and Canada. Uh, maybe one of these days we can talk about that because that will Absolutely. have an impact on our American companies. Yeah, we'll do that on uh, on we'll do that on television too. Congressman Henry Cuellar, thanks so much. Thank you so much. Right. Take care. Uh, imagine that country before party. Back in a moment. It's Brian Kilmeade. Get this and all your favorite Fox News podcasts ad-free on Apple Podcasts with Fox News Podcasts Plus. Just go to foxnewspodcasts.com for all the details. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. All right, you know what's happening on Tuesday. On Tuesday, my book comes out, The President and the Freedom Fighter. Abraham Lincoln, Frederick Douglass, and the Battle to Save America's Soul. And then I start a, basically a 36-stop tour, and hopefully I'll be coming to all the uh, radio cities uh, near you. I know I'm going to be in Orlando, WDBO, November 21st on stage, talking about everything. It'll be a full night, VIP opportunities. So I hope to see everybody there. December 3rd as well in Point of Vedra is sold out. December 4th in Clearwater, almost there. And then in West Virginia, this is what's coming up soon. Uh, first time I'm coming on stage with President Freedom Fighter and all the other books, go to BrianKilmead.com for November 7th. I'll be there. And on Monday, excuse me, on Wednesday, meet me at Publicans of Manhasset. On Thursday, I'll be in Staten Island uh, for at the Barnes & Noble there at the Staten Island Mall. See everybody out there. Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. 
It's Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Coming to you from New York, heard around the country, heard around the world. Geraldo Rivera is just getting out of the shower. He wants me to buy some time, so I will. Congressman Lee Zeldin, bottom of the hour. He wants to be the next governor of New York. He thought he was running against Governor Cuomo. He's got bigger problems now. Now he's a former governor, and he has uh, been charged uh, with sexual misconduct. We will explain all of that. It came out of nowhere. It even surprised the state attorney general, reportedly. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. It's a movement to stand up for Virginians, for parents, and to reject government control. And Terry McAuliffe has demonstrated that he cares more about his own career than he does for Virginians. This is our moment as Virginians to come together. We're winning the independent vote by double digits. We have Democrats walking across the aisle in droves. Glenn Youngkin's really happy. Look at the polls. Who wouldn't be? Stunning, stunning reversal. The rookie Republican in the blue state of Virginia goes from long shot to leader in the Virginia governor's race. We'll bring you the details. Number two. We've had a lot of our members that have been seriously ill and recovered and have the antibody levels. So that's just the service we've given to the citizens and residents of New York City. And the mayor hasn't given us any deference or even uh, treated us the same as anybody else. We're being treated like numbers on a spreadsheet. Uh, so true. Jim McCarthy. And he is the president of the FDNY Fire Officers Association. And he's been told about 20 percent of his workforce will be told to go home, no job, no unemployment. Mandate mania will cost firefighters, cops, and city workers their jobs. Are you okay with that? I am not. Number one. It's a framework that will create millions of jobs, grow the economy, invest in our nation and our people, turn the climate crisis into an opportunity and put us on a path not only to compete, but to win the economic competition. No one got everything they wanted, including me. But that's what compromise is. Yes, with your own party. That's real compromise. Not delivering. That's how I describe what the Dems have done uh, to the reeling presidency of Joe Biden. As he lands in Italy for the G20, he wanted to brag about a massive spending bill. Two of them. Maybe one of them. How about none of them? What's in the bill? Who's out? What's in it? And why will probably eventually pass, meaning America loses. Uh, America never loses when we go to Geraldo Rivera. Geraldo, you out of the shower yet? You need me to buy more time. I'm okay. It's raining here, so I'm fine. All right. You you showering indoors though, so I don't think that'll affect your appearance. <laughs> right? So so are you I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm clean. I'm dry. I'm ready to go. That's Bye. all I can ask. Uh, a clean <laughs> appearance. I uh, like you. I had to get up early for Fox and Friends today. Okay, so listen, uh that's true. Are you wearing a shirt or no? Uh halfway buttoned, yeah. Right. That look, that's typical of you. Do you even have <laughs> buttons past halfway? Didn't your wife take them all off? Just get the little scissor? Just the top ones, yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So, so Geraldo, uh, what do you uh, go inside the numbers now? It looks as though uh, last night Nancy Pelosi again wanted a vote on the 1.2 bipartisan bill, and the progressive group reportedly not only didn't sign off on it, they asked her to leave the meeting. So she, this is the third time she, this is the third time that she has failed in the last four weeks. She gets a total pass on this. You mean from the media? Yeah. Uh, well, I'm not sure that that is over. I, I, I believe that uh, you know the failure of the Democrats. Because remember, there's nothing. Even even the reduced bill, there's no uh, surety that even that will pass. Uh, you know, they are. I think the. The progressives have demonstrated a, a kind of a spite, spitefulness 
you know, they, you can't have what they want, so they're not going to give anything. It's, uh, you know, when you have a razor-thin margin, you just can't, uh, uh, you, you can't abide that kind of uh, rebellious uh, behavior that doesn't take into account, uh, you know, Democrats nationally. But they, it's a, it's petty. Uh, you know, I understand idealism. I'm all for idealism. I think of myself as an idealist. Uh, but, uh, you know, something is better than nothing, and they've made the, the perfect the enemy of the good. Right. So here is some of that progressive caucus talking last night. Listen. We need a little bit more than, uh, than an IOU. I felt a little bamboozled because this was, not, this was not what I thought was coming today. We need to keep the promise that was made. We've been very clear. We need to see the two bills simultaneously move together. Progressives have done our work in getting everybody to a place where we endorse the framework that the president laid out today. It's over 1,600 pages, uh, and that was uh, Jay Apollo's the last one, and it looks like she might be ready to go along with it. Jim Costa, the congressman, Democratic congressman from California, said this to the Hill. People are frustrated right now. There's a lack of trust, and you got a lot of members here who have been here just four years uh, or less, and they don't seem to understand how things get done. Uh, AOC says, even in the beginning of the summer, this was the White House and the Senate, and the House was excluded. This is, I think, the result of that omission. Your thoughts? Well, I I think that I, I don't know anything about that. All I know is that I I admired, and you know, I've uh, I've said. Uh, to great criticism on Fox and Friends and elsewhere, uh, how much I admire AOC and how she has energized uh, young uh, Latinas, particularly uh, by dominating the conversation in Washington, D.C., which is all great. They have this charismatic figure. Uh, but the, the char- charisma only works when there's a, a greater good. Uh, and I, I really do believe that they got so caught up in the exercise of their own leverage here that they they got a bill that you know they didn't get uh, paid family leave they didn't get uh, you know old timers getting uh, vision help and hearing help and uh, you know uh, I, I, what they have is they, they have a pretty good uh, solar. Uh, wind, uh, nuclear power. I mean, those things, I'm, you know, I, I like, I like alternative energy. Uh, and I guess they wanted to give that to president Biden. So he wasn't empty handed in Glasgow when he gets there. Uh, but I, right. I think in retrospect, the, this European trip will be largely viewed as a fiasco for president Biden who came empty handed. And the best thing that came out of it for him was an hour and a half meeting with the Pope. Right, uh, which he didn't want cameras in, maybe because the whole pro-life, uh, pro-choice thing. And the other thing I'd add in mind— Oh, I, I didn't even think of that. Yeah, yeah, of course. I am very smart, and you have to realize that. <laughs> uh, that's one thing. Let me ask you this, uh, Geraldo. Would your parents have given you up for $450,000? Mine would, because right now the separated families <laughs> at the border from our government are about to get $450,000. Believe me, if they offered my mom that deal, she'd be like, okay, I'll miss you. Stay in touch. Text me. I mean, <laughs> come on. Your dad is working in a diner 20 hours a day. A phone card. <laughs> exactly. It'll be like, With hey. 20, 20 minutes on it. Uh, sorry, Geraldo. Uh, you know, we have is, Craig. It is shocking. I didn't believe it was true. It's not part of the bills, but they're, you know, the various lawsuits uh, that are being brought by uh, the a- a- activist uh, legal institutions like the ACLU, uh, the going to families forcibly separated uh, when they came uh, without proper documentation illegally in your terms uh, to the United States. It, it will be interesting to see how it plays out. I think it would be an outrage to many Americans. They won't be able to figure out how in the world, as you said, uh, uh, undocumented people get paid uh, 
uh, you know, Nuts. for the government doing its job uh, or attempting to do its job at the border. I, it's one of those things that's going to be very, very annoying, and it's going to taint any uh, any kind of reasonable right. discussion of what's happening at the border. So I want to bring you to the pandemic, and you know, because it's good news, no one reports it. Cases are down 20 percent, deaths are down 15 percent, we're around 1,500 uh, they're dropping precipitously, except for the upper northwest, where it's just holding steady. It's too high in Minnesota in those areas. But look in the country. You go look at the New York Times. they got that shade map. Uh, right. America's opening up. I think we agree on that. For yes. some reason, they're trying this draconian push to, man- to vaccinate everybody. And November 1st, today's the last working day, the FDNY, the NYPD, the sanitations, all except corrections, the workforce is told get vaccinated or lose your job and don't get unemployment. Now, Geraldo, 68% of firefighters are vaccinated. 80% of NYPD sanitation, 67%. All these people are going to be told to go home because Mayor de Blasio wants to make sure they're okay when he could not care less for the first nine months of this pandemic. Those guys were not even tested. They were told, keep coming to work. If you get sick, stay home. Can you believe they have painted themselves into this corner? You know, I believe in vaccine mandates. And I, the Supreme Court has been clear that vaccine mandates are constitutional. I, I, have, a, I have a question to ask you. Yes. Why are one-third of these uniform forces who we love, who we, we extol their virtue right. every day? We are the, the nugget of the support for our first responders. Why are they being so stubborn uh, about I, I could never, I could never answer for everybody. But some of them have natural immunity. They just want well, an antibody Irish, test. They're Irish. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, t- <laughs> typically, that's what the stereotype says. How dare you put my people in one category? Um, <laughs> and the other people in the other category. The Itali- So the Italians are mobsters and the Irish are all cops? What is oh, this, an Abbott and Costello? And, 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 the, and those, uh, all those Irish who are my in-laws, by the way, right. uh, are, are not getting vaccinated. I'm not sure if my in-laws are vaccinated or not. Well, but so uh, but so there's various reasons. High, they are high-ranking cops. So what you do is you have a testing I don't option. Know, I don't know. I think that the, the problem in, with New York particularly, and the, to, aside from the vaccine mandate, is that you have de Blasio, the most unpopular mayor in the history and of he New York. It. He earned been it. Budding, he earned it. He's been butting heads and doing the best he can to screw the uniform services. He's never had their back during the riots and so forth. So what, what this is is a manifestation of a labor dispute. It's, I don't think it's really about that. Vaccines. It's about the, the uniform services, uh, the one-third, the rebels, have, they perceive, now a way to really hurt de Blasio, real, uh, by not showing up. So then they could say uh, de Blasio has stripped the city of its uh, police protection. I don't think so, Geraldo. I think the they'd guard. rather not have the fight. I think it's, in, it's, it's, it's walking up to somebody in the street and popping them, and now all of a sudden you're fighting for no reason. They didn't need it. There's a testing but you option. Got vaccination, didn't you? Yeah, you got it. I got it. Yep. I mean, it's but, not, I, then, but, but what but about what about this, Geraldo? Why do we cheer on people who aren't getting vaccinated? I'm, I'm not. I'm never going to tell you, Geraldo. You're never going to come to me for medical advice, nor should you. Should you? And that's what they're saying. I don't want some mayor telling me to do it. I feel these guys, a lot of them are very healthy, say, if I get it, I'll beat it, and I'll have natural immunity. I am not into getting this new vaccine. I researched it. I feel comfortable. I I, I got you a scenario. Here's a different scenario. Okay. I live in the Bronx. I have five 
children under the age of seven or eight or ten years old. Right. Uh, I, I get something happens in my house. A cop comes in my house. A fireman comes in my house. Uh, whatever it is, or I'm hanging out uh, near the trash outside the projects, and here's an unvaccinated right. first responder who makes my children sick. I, I just think that there's, there's, you have to remember, this is an infectious disease. I understand natural immunity and all the other nuance and arguments. But if, why not just get a damn vaccination? You because they don't. Back. When you were born, you got vaccinated. Your kids cannot go to public school today, nor could they even before the pandemic without a vaccination. Why don't they get a damn vaccination? It's well, a, cu- of a couple of reasons why. Where does it stop, number one? And now you see in these cities, they're now decided to mandate the flu shot. Soon they're going to mandate from 5 to 11-year-olds. Soon they're going to mandate a booster. Believe me, we're vaccinated now. They're going to say, okay, you got six months to get a booster shot. All right, fine. Do you know they're now giving four shots? Four shots. Now i got to get four shots? Really? Well, why don't I just do it? i got to get the flu shot now. Now well, there's another version of the flu. Married, i got to get two flu shots. Now i got to get two COVID shots. And there's a variant that's going to need a different shot. Now i got to go for that or else I'm a selfish person uh, who, uh, who wants to get everybody sick in the Bronx. You so, know, I love all of your history books. You are brilliant. And, uh, you know, I'm, it's The next one's the best. Them. I, the next one's the best. And I look forward to it. But you, the, the Civil War. Uh, almost uh, over 650,000 dead yes. Americans on one side or the other. Now we have over 700,000 dead to this damn disease. Why can't we treat this like a wartime emergency? I understand the trends are all in our favor, but I saw Delta come in uh, and, and, and knock, us, uh, knock us flat after we thought we beat it the last time. You've got to exterminate the enemy in this war, uh, and it's, it's so costly. And, I, you know, I, I just think that we've got to – you know, swallow our pride and do the right thing. I, I'm inflexible about it. Right, I, I know. know I, I just, I, we I, agree on so many things, and you know I love right. you. But it's just that I feel very strongly I, I, that it's stubbornness involved. Brother, six months from now, if they mandate the flu shot in order to go to restaurants and planes, are you okay with that? I, I, I usually get the flu shot anyway because uh, right. you know, I want to I keep going uh, – uh, you know, they yeah. gave me a contract for life at Fox. I got to. Did you really? <laughs> I got to show up. Yeah, it's unbelievable. You were like singing your swan song a couple of years ago. You wrote your book. I know. I know. I, I we had farewell bad, music. Man. I had the island in Puerto Rico, the boat. Now they give you like a new series. What's no, going on? Yeah, they give me a. You know what happened? I had to. I married this young woman, and I, yeah, I have to stick around. I got a 16 year old right. in school. I got to be around for the PTA. Do you even remember her name? So you call her young woman? Do you, do you, what's going, I married this young woman. What is this, an arranged marriage? <laughs> yeah, I arranged it. First yes. time I saw it, love at first sight. Right, but, and you're smart. Uh, it, arguably your best decision. Uh, we can, we can <laughs> do you. that when I we do the movie. That. I agree with that, of course. All right, I want you to hear, just so you know, uh, lastly, uh, just so you know, it's not just a New York story. The same thing's happening in Chicago. Listen to the mayor get on stage in front of the Plumbers Union yesterday. Cut 16. She's at, she's at war with the cops who she's vilified and the union. That no, that's Mayor no. de Blasio. I just want to say it's not no. just a de Blasio thing. This is a problem in a lot of places. Final thought, I'm up against a break, but I want you to know it's not just a New York story. All right, brother. I hear you. So you're not going to comment? I disagree, okay. but I hear you. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, but at least I told you one thing. I gave you a good theory on, on Joe Biden, no cameras. So you can use that a little bit later. Okay, I will. All right. Thanks, Geraldo. All right. All right. Bye. All right. 
And Geraldo, his shirt was half buttoned down the entire interview, right? I was able to discover that. So he said, yes. Yes. Back in a moment. Expanding your knowledge base, it's Brian Kilmeade. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. The idea is you have to battle white power. Right. White people have all the power. You've got to battle that. If you're not battling that, then you're not going to get into heaven. And yep. therefore, you have to get rid of the white docents, Condoleezza Rice as a white supremacist. All of it makes a certain kind of sense if you understand that there's this church of battling white supremacy. And that being the only thing you do, other than maybe taking some lessons on the recorder now and then, maybe doing some watercoloring, a little bit else. <laughs> yeah. But mainly, what you do is you're fighting the white man. That's mm-hmm. the religion. That is John McWhorter, who is a black. Yeah, uh, who is black? Uh, he has got a book out called "Woke Racism." Uh, that he said, uh, as you just heard with Greg Gutfeld, that is the obsession among too many people in his mind in in uh, black America is fighting white people or who was ever not white. That is the religion. Which brings me to the other story, a similar story about racism in America, and it certainly existed uh, prior to the Civil War especially. Uh, And we talk about Frederick Douglass and Abraham Lincoln in The President and Freedom Fighter. I'll be uh, locally. I hope to see everybody on uh, Wednesday night. That is November uh, 3rd. And November November 3rd, I'll be in uh, Publicans of Manhasset. Right off Plan Dome Road, you got to get there. You can get there easy by train if you're in Manhattan. Just get off of Manhattan and just walk down the block. And then I'll be in Staten Island at the Barnes & Noble Mall, my first stop. Uh, and then I'll be in Atlanta, Georgia. And I'm going to be in Lexington, Kentucky, and then in West Virginia on stage. If you're in the West Virginia area in, in Charleston, West Virginia, come meet me there. Just get a ticket. Uh, go to BrianKillMe.com. It's all out in front. WDBO listeners especially. Tickets are left in Orlando. Uh, Clearwater and Ponte Vedra are virtually sold out. When we come back, Congressman Lee Zeldin wants to be the next governor of New York. Is he a Republican to get actually pull it off as a popular congressman in a very purple area in Long Island? Is he saying and showing that he could win over Democratic votes? He'll need to to win. He'll be joining me live, including uh, shedding some light on what could be in store for the former governor, Cuomo. Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. Radio that makes you think. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Stamping just is not there. There's no way to do it. And the response times are going to go through the roof. We're just not going to be able to get the emergencies in time. Fires are going to burn longer. Heart attack victims are going to be laying on the floor longer for us to get there. People in stuck elevators can be stuck there for hours, if not days. And that is the fire department union president talking to us earlier this week about what's happening today. 
I mean, if they don't get vaccinated uh, in the, for the FDNY, for the NYPD, for sanitation, all except corrections who are put off till December 3rd, the workforce is going to be sent home. They can't collect unemployment. That's because of a vax mandate, many of which have natural immunity, many of which have to uh, want a testing option. They just don't feel comfortable with it. So right now, the FDNY is 68 percent vaccinated. Cops are 20 percent vaccinated. Sanitation, 67. If you're not, you're done. How is this city going to function? And it's not just here. It's Seattle. It is Chicago. Uh, in particular, they're just as angry there. With me in studio, uh, Congressman Lee Zeldin, uh, New York Republican governor, uh, gubernatorial candidate, and he's uh, currently a House member uh, in uh, representing Long Island, in not all of Long Island, but his district in Long Island in, uh, uh, in New York. Congressman, what's your reaction to this D-Day here? Well, first off, the the city can't afford this. I mean, we already have issues with regards to public safety that's been eroding, quality of life being impacted. All across the city, people feeling less safe being able to travel outside of their apartment and going around the block. So that impacts a concern. The other thing is that you have these people you hailed as heroes. You have parades for them. They put themselves out there during covid Uh, Many of them got COVID themselves. They have natural immunity. They're seeing studies coming from the Cleveland Clinic or Israel and elsewhere. They have questions that they deserve to have it to get answered about that. And and, there's no testing alternative. And it's punitive. It it is to punish people who haven't been vaccinated to create different classes of our society. So that part I have a problem with. And then the third is. That this president and Kamala Harris and Andrew Cuomo and others were all sowing distrust in the vaccine this time last year. And then they decided to get vaccinated. Okay, that's their choice. But when Joe Biden was getting vaccinated, he said it should not be mandated. And then they changed their compass. And uh, what is so wrong is how the people who are in charge right now keep recalibrating their own moral compasses. And then insist, no questions asked, that you recalibrate yours as they recalibrate theirs. What kind of a country do they think that we live in? Now, I mean, I look at New Yorkers as fellow New Yorkers, as residents, as voters, if you're the governor, as constituents. Kathy Hochul, the new governor of New York, she was referring to New Yorkers as her apostles. So, and if you want to know where this vaccine came from, and her, you know, she says it comes from God, if you want to speak to God, it'll be through her. These people at different levels of government, including de Blasio here in New York City, are, are, are putting all of these factors together and they're punishing amazing, heroic men and women, selfless, dedicated New Yorkers who put their lives uh, out there on the line, mm-hmm. exposed to great risk. And now they're being tossed to the curb. I think it's wrong. And well, not only that, cops can now the ones that are left, they're going to take FBI or detectives and put them back on the street as cops. Then they're going to tell people mandatory overtime. So that's going to cost the city even more money. And these cops are already burnt out because they're not being supported. Uh, but that's the mayoral race. I want you to hear what uh, Jim McCarthy said. He's president of the FDNY Fire Officials Association, Cut 15. When they asked us to respond in uh, March of 2020, we did the same thing. We pulled everybody from their uh, uh, offline uh, assignments, put them back into the firehouse, and we responded to all of those calls. When everybody was home, working from home, and all the businesses were closed, every firefighter and fire officer was in the firehouse responding to uh, emergencies, COVID, and being exposed to COVID. And then get, some of them got very seriously ill. Some of them came back and exposed their families to COVID. So we've had a lot of uh, our members that ha- have been seriously ill and recovered and have the antibody levels. Mm-hmm. So um, 
that's the, the service we've given to the, uh, the citizens and residents of New York City, and the mayor hasn't given us any deference or even uh, treated us the same as anybody else. Who's We're being up? treated like numbers on a spreadsheet rather than right. uh, workers. So who, uh, who's going the EMTs? Who's going to be doing that? Okay, great. Uh, now we have the Tulsa. Who's picking up the garbage? Sanitation workers, there's, there's just over 50% have gotten the shot. So in, in life, you might want everyone to be vaccinated, and that's a goal. But you have to say to yourself, play this out. Now we're at a deadline. We saw a lot of nurses and medical workers lose their job, not a lot of uproar. We saw teachers told we got long-term subs until you get vaccinated. There hasn't been a lot of uproar. Why not? I mean, I, I, you're starting to see it. I mean, right now on the streets of New York City, we've had multiple protests. Yeah. We have the, the cops are coming out now and the firefighters and people who support our law enforcement and first responders. And I'm glad that they are speaking up there. You know, some of them have brought suits. We've seen that brought by whether it's uh, New York State court workers or the healthcare workers and others. That's working through the process. We'll see. Maybe you'll have the United States Supreme Court deciding on whether or not it's constitutional to fire someone to deny medical exemption requests or wholesale right across the board uh, religious exemptions. Uh, SUNY Stony Brook, which is part of the SUNY system, they have a, a, a hospital on Long Island. It's actually a, a pretty good hospital long term, a lot of success stories. And and these people are being tossed out and accused of committing crimes like misconduct and dereliction of duty and, and getting a, a notice on a Saturday that you were uh, supposed to report the day earlier for your interrogation, and now you missed it and you can't get it rescheduled, uh, you know, postmarked, by the way, the day or two earlier. Uh, there's so much about the way that they are doing it to punish people more. And morale was was already low. Like inside of law enforcement, you know, here in New York State, they enacted cashless bail. They want to get rid of qualified immunity. You see retirement packets surging. You see uh, you know, suicides increasing. We already had an issue with these feckless leaders not having their backs. And now they're tossing so many of their uh, colleagues to the curb. I, I mean, you're, you're seeing impacting the ranks. And these are amazing, dedicated New Yorkers. So we're looking at you running for governor of a very blue state. Now, Long Island is it goes back and forth. Would you say it's purple? Yeah, I would say purple to uh, to red, and it does go back and forth, and it kind of depends on the year. Right. So if you are a hardcore conservative or a hardcore liberal, you're not really going to have much success in Long Island, maybe in Queens uh, or maybe in portion of the Bronx. Upstate New York tends to be red. I don't know what the—you probably know every single district, but I've been going up there so much because two of my uh, kids are in college up there. I, there's, a lot of, uh, there's a lot of supporters uh, of Lee Zeldin. So I so I ask you, is are you learning anything from what's happening in Virginia? And are you thinking to yourself, if I want to be governor of a blue state, Glenn Youngkin is doing something and seeing such improvement in the polls. If so, what is he doing that maybe Lee Zeldin is learning from? You also see it here in New York State, parents caring about their kids' education. I want to see parents involved more in their kids' education. So you think education is one of the things? For sure. And my daughters are in 10th grade. I have 15-year-olds who go to school in Suffolk County. I believe that they should just be given a quality education. Don't try to indoctrinate my kid. Don't try to brainwash my kid. Just give them a quality education. And we talk about you know how New York, New York City, they got rid of advanced academics, the gifted and talented program. That was de Blasio's decision a couple weeks ago. Uh, we were just talking about crime and public safety. They're emptying out Rikers Island. We, we have an issue where right now, this moment in time, 
You could go to the most red, conservative, Republican counties in the state, or you could go to the most blue, Democrat, liberal counties in the state, and they're talking about the same issues. They're all talking about how they need someone who's going to do a better job protecting their wallets, their safety, their freedom. What was happening in Virginia, potentially— is going to be a big Yunkin win on Tuesday. We'll see. I mean, he went from trailing by eight to up by eight in a matter of a month on a real issue because the board, people act like the Republicans have uh, came up with a strategy to start going to school board meetings and getting momentum there. They went to school board meetings because they were outraged. They didn't know the cameras were there. They had no idea how bad the situation was. That was an organic issue. We know so-called trumped-up issues. That's what Barack Obama called it. Do you think most Democrats think this is a joke, that people are upset about uh, CRT? At first, their response was fighting, fighting back, resisting parental involvement. Wrong answer. Uh, and th- you had the New York State school boards and their letter they sent to the Department of Justice, the Department of Justice playing along with it, encouraging people to contact the FBI. Th- it was such a huge mistake. Error after error, McAuliffe plays into it by by discouraging as well parental in- involvement. They don't seem to get it. It is a real issue. On And this isn't a Republican versus Democrat issue. Mm-hmm. These parents who are showing up are are, are great uh, you know, Republicans and Democrats and conservatives and moderates and liberals, these are parents who care about their kids' education. And I think the Democrats are making a huge mistake, uh, and they might pay for it by losing that, that governor's race in Virginia. Uh, here, you, you pointed out New York State. If you, get, if you take four counties out of 62 off of the map, which are very blue counties, we happen to be in one of them right now in Manhattan, Manhattan, Bronx, Brooklyn, and Queens. The other 58 counties, you look at a map of New York and, you, and you know, whether the county went blue or red, you're saying, wow, this is a... Republican state. But these four counties, they really they have a lot of votes. Virginia, too, it looks all red, but it's the heavy populated area. So Republicans have to, instead of saying, I can't believe this, have to find a way to get a message that resonates in urban environments. It doesn't seem like there's been a focus on it. Well, well, we can't do that. Let's maximize our vote. And to me, long term, that's not the answer. When we come back, I want to talk about the spending palooza that you thought you were voting on yesterday and weren't, and which it could could be out front and center as early as today and voted on. We'll talk about that. Uh, first, uh, before we go, I want you to hear Robert Kahali. He was on with Hannity last night. He's chief pollster and founder of the Trafalgar Group, a conservative pollster organization. And here's what he's saying is the reason why McAuliffe is losing. Cut 19. Voting voting is where the Democrats have traditionally just absolutely just worn out the Republicans. And, and you know, it, it seems like they're, they're putting a lot of effort to all these events, but for some reason, they're not focused where they need to be in getting voters to vote. Uh, they've spent yeah. two years telling everybody to be afraid to go to the polls uh, because they're going to catch COVID. And guess what? Now that they're dependent upon that. And now the early voting has not been strong and Republicans traditionally like to show up on Election Day. It's it's right. I've seen these numbers coming out every single day. They keep an eye on where the early voting numbers are coming from. They're underperforming. Uh, and it seems like all the momentum and momentum, they call it the big mo in politics, all the momentum's with Yunkin right now. Uh, and and it's changed where maybe even at the beginning of this week, people would say, ah, I think McAuliffe pulls it off. Now people are waking up Friday morning. They saw the Fox News poll that came out yesterday. They're saying to themselves, wow, I, you know, Yunkin might not only pull this off, he might end up running away with it from here. And I also think there's something, you're the pro, but there's also something to learn for a candidate. Yunkin can be by himself talking about Virginia. You have McAuliffe talking about the country using national figures, Barack Obama, Joe Biden, Jill Biden, Stacey Abrams, everybody that would show up, he asked them to show up. And 
Youngkin said, no, no problem. I'm talking about Virginia. What do they know about Virginia? And if now he loses, they all lose. They all lose something because they went in on this race, correct? Yeah, I mean, he he went with these surrogates who, I mean, other than Barack Obama, a lot of these people who are coming in, they can't draw a crowd themselves. And you're not going to bring excitement to the the base because you brought Joe Biden or out. Dave Matthews. Yeah, and you and you have these I mean, you, from Afghanistan to the southern border to what's happening right now in D.C. with the dysfunction over the spending bill. It's not like you're bringing in this spirit of yeah, competency yeah, and delivery. Yeah, absolutely not. Uh, yeah, it looks like right now, uh, according to Fox News, did a poll. Your choice for governor of voting right now: McAuliffe, forty-two percent; Youngkin, fifty-six percent. Uh, just a month ago, it was fifty-three, forty-three. Uh, choice for governor of voting now among likely voters. The other one was from uh, um, from uh, registered voters. It is fifty. It is uh, fifty-three, forty-five. Youngkin still up. Just one poll, but a Fox poll for some reason tends to give the benefit to the left. Uh, and that's what's surprising. So it's hard to marginalize those polls. Uh, listen, uh, Lee Zeldin's going to stick here when we come back. I want to talk about what is happening, what is actually in this bill and not in this bill, and how the congressman from New York will uh, will vote. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Don't go anywhere. Brian Kilmeade will be right back. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. Breaking news. Unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Feels like Groundhog Day when the president comes up to the Capitol and you expect to get a deal and he walks away without a deal. And the reality is that, um, you know, the, the bill that he was hoping to get would pass away for the infrastructure to get passed. But the reality is that the progressives have decided they're going to take a page from uh, from sort of their tactics to say we're going to take the infrastructure bill as hostage and we're not going to pass infrastructure until we see text. And and a framework really means nothing. And that is Mark Short on with me last night, 7 o'clock. I'll be on primetime again tonight. Lee Zeldin in studio wants to be the Republican nominee and then the governor uh, in New York. So you were you had to miss a fundraiser last night, you were telling me, because you had to stay for a vote. But you knew they weren't going to be able to vote on the framework of this package. The president delayed his G20 trip to go to Capitol Hill to sell the framework. It's 1,600 pages. Congressman, what was it? What did he do? He didn't meet with you guys. He met with his his caucus. What was accomplished? Well, I mean, you have different types of closers out there in baseball. Uh, you know, Mariano you know, went to the Hall of Fame, and he's a legendary closer of baseball. You have other closers who come in, and they end up giving up the save. Uh, and it's now 0 for 2 as far as Biden goes. Uh, at the end of September, he came to the House to close the deal on a bill. He actually had less votes when he left than when he showed up yesterday morning Sure enough, he comes back to the Hill again. The feedback I got inside the room was that he was meandering. He was off topic. He wasn't closing. Off topic? Yeah, he wasn't even talking a lot about the bill, the substance of it. He was losing confidence and faith inside of the room. He actually ended up leaving for this plane trip with less votes. He would have been better off if he just got on his plane and left rather than coming to the uh, the Capitol and creating more uh, chaos. He is, yeah, he's 0 for 2 as a, a closer here on the Hill. And he's, you know, he has a half a generation of experience. You know, he likes to talk about with this stuff. Uh, this was what he sold as his skill set. And part of 
his competency. What was amazing, there was one congressman, Mike Quigley, who uh, was doing an interview uh, outside of this meeting, and he said, oh, we should just pass both bills today. There wasn't even a bill yet on you know this reconciliation package, the $1.57 trillion. You have a number of congressional Democrats who they don't even care what's in the bill. They just vote on anything. Yeah, whatever it is, let's vote. It's a great bill. I, this will save our country. You don't even know what it is? I mean, you don't care what, you know, how many things are buried into a 2,000-page bill? So uh, here you go. AOC uh, tweeted this out. I had this quote from her. Excuse me. Even in the beginning of the summer, this is the White House and the Senate, and the House was excluded. That is, I think, the result of that omission. That's why they feel, I guess you guys, you, you said something similar for a different reason. Uh, Joe Manchin says President Biden's uh, framework is a product of months of negotiation. He indicates that it looks like he will vote for whatever this is. Jim Acosta says, frustrated. He's a congressman from California, Democrat. People are frustrated right now. There's a lack of trust, and you get a lot of members who have only been here for two or four years. They don't seem to understand how to get things done. Your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, even the, though you don't want this done, the, do you understand there's a practicality on each part for each party? If you want people's votes, you sh- shouldn't be, you know, just talking to you know a mansion and a, and a cinema without keeping up aggressive communications with the the other end of your party. Strategically, you have all these progressives hearing about through media reports updates of what is coming out of your priorities. Uh, because you know, Manchin insisted as one senator, so it caused all this resistance and frustration. The uh, this bipartisan infrastructure bill, what they call the BIF, ends up getting combined with this reconciliation bill, all as just one bill that's moving. And it's a fifty-fifty Senate. You barely have a majority in the House. You have elections coming up November eight twenty-two, and now as a result, they're probably going to lose the House because of this and other reasons. It's just it's incompetency taking. Our country in the wrong direction. Right, which is why we see this in Virginia and why Republicans should have a lot of hope in the midterms and, and you as governor of New York. If people want to help you, where do they go? Zeldinfornewyork.com, Z-E-L-D-I-N, Zeldinfornewyork.com. Thanks, Congressman. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. It's Brian Kilmeade coming to you from New York, heard around the country, heard around the world. Uh, the Brian Kilmeade Show will feature Shannon Bream and Governor Chris Christie in a matter of moments. A lot going on. The President of the United States uh, met with the Pope a, a short time ago. Behind closed doors, no cameras. Don't know if that's his pro choice stance or not that has the the meeting for over an hour behind the scenes i don't know what they could be talking about uh number two he's going to go ahead and meet with g20 he's going to meet with francois macron who understandably we sold some nuclear subs without telling him uh destroying his uh, multi-billion dollar deal with his private companies he's a man of the uk as well so he's been a disaster overseas as his president and domestically he does not have a bipartisan or reconciliation package yet to talk about. Will that get done? 
We'll find out. Let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. It's a movement to stand up for Virginians, for parents, and to reject government control. And Terry McAuliffe has demonstrated that he cares more about his own career than he does for Virginians. This is our moment as Virginians to come together. We're winning the independent vote by double digits. We have Democrats walking across the aisle in droves. Stunning reversal. The rookie Republican in the blue state of Virginia goes from long shot to leader in the Virginia governor's race. I'll ask Governor Chris Christie about that. Number two. We've had a lot of our members that have been seriously ill and recovered and have the antibody levels. So that's just the service we've given to the citizens and residents of New York City. And the mayor hasn't given us any deference or even uh, treated us the same as anybody else. We're being treated like numbers on a spreadsheet. Uh, yeah, that is true. That's Jim McCarthy, the Firefighters Union president. Mandate mania to cause firefighters, cops, and city workers their jobs and their careers in New York and Chicago. This is all politically driven, an unnecessary battle. Has Mayor de Blasio thought of what is it going to be like without thousands of cops and firefighters and sanitation workers on their streets? Number one. It's a framework that will create millions of jobs, grow the economy, invest in our nation and our people. Turn the climate crisis into an opportunity and put us on a path not only to compete, but to win the economic competition. No one got everything they wanted, including me. But that's what compromise is. Really? With your own party and you can't get it done. Not delivering. That's how I describe what the Dems have done to the reeling President Biden as he lands in Italy. He wanted a massive spending bill. He wanted two of them. Nancy Pelosi guaranteed one of them. He's got none of them. Joining me now, Governor Christie. Governor Christie, welcome back. How are you feeling? Feeling great, Brian. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Really good. First off, for... Uh, bring us right now to what happened yesterday, as you understand it. The president wanted to close the deal. He wanted to close at least one of the two bills. What happened? Look, he, he, he didn't get it done. I mean, it's that simple. And it's because he has not led in his own party, let alone led in the country. And this is you can't do this stuff based on these artificial timelines when you haven't brought people together. And so he, he had a fake announcement. You know, yesterday morning that everything was done. They had a framework. And then when you go back and talk to the people who are actually going to have to vote on it, they haven't even seen a bill yet. They don't even know what he's talking about. So, you know, it's it's theater. It's theater by Joe Biden, which has gone flat. Um, if this were a Broadway show, it would be closed on the first night. Um, you know, this is just a bad, bad show that he's putting on, not to mention the awful policy that is behind these things. So he went to Europe looking weak. Um, which is not good for America, um, but it is the reality of the Biden presidency so far. So one thing we we have, it's 1,600-plus pages. My sense is they'll get something. I don't know what else they're going to do, uh, but who knows? Expansion of health care coverage, that's Obamacare, $150 billion for affordable housing, earned income tax credit, child tax credit extension for another year, paying uh, thousands per kid, uh, Pell Grant expanding $100 billion for immigration. Well, that's interesting. Clean energy tax credits to the tune of $550 billion. Taxes on corporations, uh, 15% threshold, but they won't raise the corporate tax rate. Free preschool for everybody in the country for three- and four-year-olds. What's out? Drug pricing uh, competition, billionaire's tax, paid family leave, the clean electricity performance program, free community college, and Medicare that includes dental and vision 
So I worry about what the nuances in this bill are and what people in New Jersey and New York want. They want that salt tax back. And people like Tom Suozzi, the congressman of Long Island, said, I won't vote for this, Democrat, uh, unless that's gone. That's not even on the table that I could see. I don't think it is on the table. And the rest of the country is not going to want to give that to states like California, New York, my own state of New Jersey, because our states spend out of control. And, and other parts of the country say, why should the taxpayers in the rest of the country pay for the excesses of state governments in these blue states? Um, you know, when spending has gone up 30 percent in New Jersey over the last four years under a Democratic governor, why should taxpayers in you know, Nebraska have to pay for that? So I think they're going to have a tough pull on that. and I don't think it's going to make it. Um, what, what, I, what do you see here and what you should be concerned about is these programs that they're expanding and they're putting a one-year sunset yeah. on to bring down the, the price of the bill to lower, who, are, are Democrats really going to take away those things? And Republicans are going to have to be very clear about what they want to do in the 2022 election. Because I'll tell you as a voter, I'm going to be listening to whether or not they're going to sunset some of this stuff. Because the big problem, Brian, and this is where we as a party failed on Obamacare, we promised to get rid of it. And when we were in complete control of the White House, the House, and the Senate, we didn't do it. And, and I, I will tell you, I think that we need to be able to speak strongly about this expansion is something that we will roll back if we take control again, um, whether it's next year in the, in, the, in the House and the Senate to force it to right. Biden's desk or more importantly, in 2024. I'm talking to Governor Christie, obviously. We'll talk about Virginia in a second. But just so you know, if people listening to us right now say, well, I do agree with President Biden, the those horrible rich people aren't paying enough. The Wall Street Journal did, took a look at what could be coming down the pike if this thing passes. If you look at the taxes right now, the top marginal personal tax income rate with the state tax, if you're in New York and California, you're paying 60%. So do you think that the people uh, giving six out of every $10 they make aren't paying enough? which would be higher, it's higher than Europe. Uh, welfare states that people always say, we know, socialism in, in like Britain and, and Europe has. Uh, the U.K. pays 45%, Italy 47%, Germany 47%, France 55%. Uh, so you understand that our tax rate already is higher than Europe. It, look, Brian, take New Jersey as an example. The top 1% in New Jersey pays 44% of the income tax amazing in the state. Yeah. So this idea, this myth that, um, that, you know, people who have been successful are not paying enough in taxes is a myth. And it's a myth that the Democrats love to play, love to have class warfare because uh, there are more people making less right. than there are making more. And so they want, it's all about a cynical way to try to get more votes. Um, we have to be out there telling people what the truth is, where I think most people would reasonably believe that in New Jersey, if the top 1% are already paying 44% of the income tax, that that certainly constitutes more than fair share. I would think so. So let's talk about the New Jersey race. Uh, the latest uh, Fox poll has generally trailing, I think, by six points. What do you think? Do you think he's, the Republican still has a shot against the sitting Governor Murphy? Yeah, I think he does because of this. Um, think about this comparison. In 2009, when I beat John Corzine, Barack Obama's approval rating in New Jersey was plus 21. He was 21 points 
um, more favorable than less favorable in this state. In the latest Fox poll, Joe Biden is six points underwater in New Jersey at 43 percent. So what I think is going to happen here is the national mood is infecting what's happening in both New Jersey and Virginia. It's helping both Jack Cittarelli and Glenn Youngkin. And I think there's enough anti-Biden, anti-Democrat momentum, even in a blue state like New Jersey and a purple state like Virginia, to give both Glenn and Jack very good chances of pulling this off next Tuesday. What was your polling? Going into the first race with Corazine, what was your polling? Were you ahead? We were, we were essentially within the margin of error. There were a number of public polls out there. Um, you know, the Mammoth poll, for instance, had us losing by three points going into Election Day. Um, but then you had the uh, PPP poll that had us up by two points. We wound up winning um, by four and a half points. Um, so there was a seven-point difference between what Mama said was going to happen and what, uh, and what actually happened with us on Election Day. So these polls are very variable. It's getting tougher to poll, as we all know, with the advent of cell phones and whether people really want to talk to pollsters anymore. I say look at the macro environment. And the macro environment here, Brian, is very negative for Democrats. And I can guarantee you that Terry McAuliffe and Governor Phil Murphy are very nervous today and will be nervous until these votes come in on Tuesday night. So looking to close, Murphy brings in the big guns. I want to get your impression of the person he called and what he said. Cut 21. Right now in America, we are the only major country on Earth not to guarantee pain. That was Bernie Sanders. Does Governor Murphy think that Bernie Sanders resonates with the type of people that have put him over the top and lock in a second victory? Do you know New Jersey? Now, look, what Governor Murphy is doing is Governor Murphy's running for president. Okay? Believe it or not, Phil Murphy is running for president. And he needs to have the support of the acolytes of Bernie Sanders because he's a guy who said he was going to make New Jersey the California of the East. He is playing completely to the AOC, Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, far left wow. wing. And that's what he's planning to do. And anybody who tells you anything differently is not telling you the truth. Oh, wow. That's uh, I've, I never thought of him as uh, presidential timber. I did appreciate the fact that he was not falling in line with all the anti-Trumpers during the whole pandemic. But um, what he has done in New Jersey, uh, I'm— I'm I'm really surprised that he thinks he's got uh, presidential hope. But on the left, I actually don't know who they have. I mean, Governor Newsom for the longest time seemed to be the man. But obviously, I think that it's pretty clear that he's an empty suit and he's lucky to even have that job and see what he's done since the recall. But I want to bring people at home up to date on what's happening in New Jersey, in, in Virginia, because now you have Terry McAuliffe in the latest poll, Virginia parents, likely voters, parents. 56-42 in favor of Yunkin. For a choice for governor, if voting now among likely voters, Yunkin up 53-45. to 45. It's a rapid reversal uh, for those Virginia registered voters. It's Yunkin by one. He was trailing by eight. What's happening in Virginia? Have you seen anything like this? I know it's just one poll, but have you seen anything like this? They were dead heat in four straight polls, and now this. What do you, go inside the numbers, Chris. Look, my guess is that what the Fox News poll is showing is the trend. 
I think that it's eight points is, is too high um, for Yunkin. But I would not be surprised that Yunkin is up by a couple of points at this point. And, and, it's, and it's showing, I think, what the poll is showing is the trend towards Yunkin. And that trend has been going on ever since that debate where Terry McAuliffe said parents shouldn't be involved in deciding what their children are learning. And, and that cuts across party lines, Brian. Democrat parents don't want to hear that. Independent parents sure don't want to hear it. And Republican parents are outraged by it. You know, Terry McAuliffe did something that Glenn Youngkin up to that point was unable to accomplish. He united people across all parties on an issue. And that issue is parents not only have a right to be involved in what their children are learning, in my view and in the view of most people, they have an obligation to be involved in what their children are learning. And I think this trend has been going since that time, I do think at that point, Glenn probably was down by eight or nine points. And now we're going to see if on Tuesday night he can close the gap and go ahead. I think he is ahead, and I think he is going to win on Tuesday night. So here's what Mark Penn said, a longtime Clinton pollster, cut 18. I myself was puzzled in, in the last week or so where McAuliffe brought in Biden and Harris, and he knows that the, the Democrat numbers Stacey Abrams, Obama. Tank, so, m- m- yeah, I mean, McAuliffe should have made it a local race about local issues and his performance, and instead he nationalized it. So I did think he made a major mistake in the last two weeks. And, and McAuliffe is an operative. I mean, I didn't even know he'd ever be a candidate, let alone he was governor for four years. But he's always worked behind the scenes. He ran the DNC. So what about nationalizing an election in Virginia? What were they thinking? Well, I, I, I think Terry McAuliffe went, got nervous, and he went back to what he knows which is his prominent, wealthy, influential, big Democrat friends, like the people that were just mentioned, Obama, Biden, Harris, Stacey Abrams, right? These are folks who national Democrats like Terry McAuliffe think are great. Um, Democrats in Virginia, not so much. And look, this is the great contrast. And I think if Youngkin wins, it's a great lesson. Youngkin has not nationalized his race. Youngkin has not had President Trump in. Youngkin has not had big national Republicans in. Glenn Youngkin has made this a race about Glenn Youngkin and about the people of Virginia. And I did exactly the same thing in 2009 when I ran against John Corzine, the only Republican I had in who you could consider a national Republican, but he was really a regional hero, was Rudy Giuliani. He was the only person that I invited in to campaign for me in 2009 that wasn't related to New Jersey. And when you're mayor of New York City, it's like you're part of New Jersey. And so, you know, I think this is the right path for a challenger to take. Mm -hmm. I think Youngkin did a great job by not inviting in any national Republicans to do that kind of thing. And I think McAuliffe, when he loses Tuesday night, is going to look back on that decision as an enormous mistake and the second turning point of the race. But the first one was that debate comment when he said parents should not be involved in what their children are learning. Governor, you you really brought your A game. I I don't know how much I'm paying you, but I'm going to double it. (laughs) Excellent. All right. Governor Chris Christie, thanks so much. Hey, Brian, always great to be on. Everybody have a great weekend. You too. Uh, Back in a moment. Coming to you on a need-to-know basis, because, man, do you need to know. You're with Brian Kilmeade.
The from the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Fast as three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. The American heroes that were hung in there during the pandemic every single day while we watched them on television go to the hospital every day, pick people up, haul them to the hospitals, get into their homes, get sick, and they're the first people that we're going to throw under the bus. You know, on this, on the, on the supply chain issue, it's even more insane um, because the, the American Trucking Association said just today that if this, if, if the vaccine mandate is put into place, 37% of every trucker in America is going to be gone. And... So what he's talking about is the vaccine mandate in these cities with Mayor de Blasio, these liberal uh, mayors like like uh, uh, Lori Lightfoot uh, in Seattle, uh, in, in uh, Portland. They're just putting in these vaccine mandates. So they're losing cops and firefighters. Maybe that's the goal. As sanitation workers, is that the goal? Really? And if you have a contract with, a fed, with the federal government, you're going to be susceptible. For example, Citibank, they have, let no, uh, they have uh, sent out notice that all their employees got to get vaccinated or they're not allowed to be in work. And that, therefore, henceforth, not be employed. So is this the hammer that the American people are going to respond to while the cases and deaths and hospitalizations go through the floor? Because thankfully, we're on the other side of this. And if a variant rolls in, it'll be another challenge and another mandate. Then we get the flu shot. And then we're going to be forced to wrap our ankles because of potholes or else. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Well, I don't think we've ever seen the federal government be this heavy-handed uh, with vaccination mandates before. And so this is definitely uncharted waters. Uh, what they're doing with federal contractors, they have thousands and thousands of employees who've been working throughout this entire pandemic in the state of Florida. Now, all of a sudden, uh, they're basically being put to either lose your job um, or do the shot. And some of them have made the decision that that's something that they don't want to do. Uh, that is Governor DeSantis going the exact opposite way of just about every blue state and certainly the White House when it comes to the vax mandates. The numbers are extremely high in Florida, not for cases, hospitalizations and deaths, but for vaccinations. But he's not firing people for not wearing a mask. He's not firing people like today in New York and Chicago for not having a vaccine. He is educating them, letting them make their own decisions and adjusting accordingly. That is the state in which Shannon Bream was reared. She is a Fox News legal analyst. Uh, she hosts Fox News at night. She's the author of The Women of the Bible. Shannon, are you proud of your governor allowing freedom to reign free? Listen, I am a seventh-generation Floridian, and we are an independent people. You go back so to Ponce de Leon? Is it seventh? Is Basically, it possible? We discovered we discovered the spring there. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, my family goes way back. And think about this. That last gubernatorial election there was so, so close. I mean, it was like in the thousands of votes for DeSantis. So Florida could be a totally different 
scenario at this point. And some people might like that. There are those who feel like, you know, DeSantis is way too open with the way the state has operated and the decisions he's made. But there are plenty of people there and plenty of people moving there. Um, I think the New York Times a few months ago had a piece about how realtors are literally just, you know, cold calling, knocking on people's doors saying, what would it take for you to sell your house? Like, just name your price. Um, because there are a lot of people who are drawn to that level of freedom and autonomy to say, yeah, for most people, they may say the vaccine is for me. This is, a, you know, makes sense. I'm doing it. Um, but if you want to have a different scenario for your kids where they can go to school with or without masks, you want to be able to make some of your own decisions. Um, Florida is a place for you. But, but just think about this, Shannon, with all the challenges that are out of our control, we're on the other side of this pandemic until another variant, which is not out there, thankfully, comes by and challenges us differently. We, we, there's no reason for my way or the highway type mandate. Listen to mm-hmm. what's happening in the state. I, I, are you still in New York? I am. All right. So in the state, uh, in the city you're in, in the state you're in, today's the deadline for sanitation workers, yeah. cops, firefighters, and all city personnel. Here's Jim McCarthy, FDNY president. Us to respond in uh, March of 2020. We did the same thing. We pulled everybody from their uh, uh, offline uh, assignments, put them back into the firehouse, and we responded to all of those calls. When everybody was home, working from home, and all the businesses were closed, every firefighter and fire officer was in the firehouse responding to uh, emergencies, COVID, and being exposed to COVID. And then some of them got very seriously ill. Some of them came back and exposed their families to COVID. So we've had a lot of uh, our members that have been seriously ill and recovered and have the antibody levels. Mm-hmm. So um, that's just the service we've given to the, uh, the citizens and residents of New York City. And the mayor hasn't given us any deference or even uh, treated us the same as anybody else. We're being treated like numbers on a spreadsheet rather than wow. uh, workers. Uh, it is a joke. Uh, and I don't think people fully understand. I don't understand where the outrage with the teachers are because so many decided not to uh, get vaccinated. I think the teachers union, for some reason, is on the same size as the mandate. Uh, I think, like the police chief, I'm not sure if they're compromised to a degree. But the FDNY has 68% vaccination rate, NYPD 80%, sanitation 67%, corrections 53%. So congratulations, Mm -hmm. New York. You're further depleted in areas in which you can least afford it. Yeah, it's frightening, actually. And, you know, people around here are starting to point to the trash on the streets and say, like, okay, is that going to get picked up? That's a nuisance and an eyesore, but it is the lack of an ambulance being able to show up or an officer on the scene of a crime. I mean, those are very real things. Um, Our buddy Jason Rance, who's on all the time and reports out of the uh, Northwest, is talking about how this is playing out in real time in Seattle. Um, they, he said that the records show for the entire month of November they're short-staffed every single day. They're asking for people to volunteer to come in and take patrol shifts. And the problem is um, that means detectives and people who would be out actually investigating and trying to solve crimes and put people away are now having to respond to 911 calls so they're not able to solve crime, get people off the streets. Plus, there's enormous burnout, which you've got to imagine is going to happen here when you're calling people in for 24-hour shifts and overtime, which is super expensive, and a grind on these men and women who have, um, as you pointed out, been the ones showing up all during COVID, taking the risk before there was a vaccine. Um, These people have been worked to the bone over the last 20 months, and we have been saluting and cheering them until this moment. And I think there just has to be some nuance in this conversation. Um, I don't think you can say, listen, if you've got natural immunity and you can show it through your antibodies, 
or, or through test results or whatever you've got, um, that you got that because you were showing up for work and now we're going to punish you and not even give you credit for that. Um, it's just very heavy handed. I think the administration at some point is going to have to say, all right, let's have a conversation about natural immunity. Yes. Now, the other area of expertise is Virginia. Why would that be? Well, because I was Miss Virginia. Thank you. Which <laughs> Do you ever lose I'm that title? You. What kind of power do you get with that? With yeah, that? it's one year, and then they kick you to the curb. It's on to the new girl. Well, to um, me, you're I'm, still in I'm, power. <laughs> I'm still ruling over the Commonwealth. Yes. Um, I'm guessing it's because you think I'm more qualified. Because I live there, and I actually have been covering this for a long time. Um, you know, Katie Pavlich and I both live in northern Virginia, which is very – very liberal. Um, for the most part, um, there are a mix of conservatives here and there, but it, you know, it's very much the DC vibe. And she and I were talking about how we're out running with our dogs and stuff. And I've been surprised to see as many Youngkin signs as I have, the, you know, the Republican who's running. Um, it's a bold statement in my neighborhood to put a Youngkin sign out. It's sort of like putting out your Trump sign. So I, I've been surprised that so many of my neighbors um, have boldly like covered their yards in these signs. It shows me that there's got to be a close race there. Um, if people in my, you know, somewhat left-leaning neighborhood are willing to do that. How about this? Uh, you have a Fox poll, which has uh, the choice for governor voting right now for likely voters. Youngkin, 53. McAuliffe, 45. It was 51-46 McAuliffe just a month ago. Now mm-hmm. Fox News uh, poll on to trust to do better on the job. Youngkin uh, uh, beats McAuliffe by one on the coronavirus. Education, he beats McAuliffe by six. On the economy, he beats him by nine. On crime, he beats him by 12. Now, listen, this is just a poll, but the last four polls had him in a virtual dead heat. Mm-hmm. Shannon, are you, I'm not sure if you're working Election Day, you usually do, but this is, this is getting very interesting. Am I wrong to think this tells a bigger story than the Virginia story if, of course, Youngkin is either within a whisker winning or actually wins? I do, uh, and because, listen, the McAuliffe people have acknowledged that, you know, they kind of didn't want uh, to be tied to the Biden administration right now because it is struggling so much with Afghanistan, with the supply chain, with the economy, with all kinds of things, uh, the gridlock in Washington. Um, But this education issue has blown up to be a huge thing in Virginia with McAuliffe saying, I don't think parents should be calling the shots. That was a statement that since then it seems like that is what it really impacted the trajectory that the Youngkin folks were able to jump on that and say, okay, parents, if you're mad about curriculum and what's happening with your kids, this sexual assault that happened in uh, a Loudoun County, allegedly more than one Loudoun County school, that kind of stuff really ticked off parents regardless of party. But you got to remember, there's been early voting in Virginia like there is everywhere now. So that's been going on for a while. So whether um, those votes you know, were locked in before some of the recent momentum change, whether that's a problem for Youngkin, will Find out on Tuesday or sometime next week when the stuff finally gets counted. Here's Mark Penn, cut 18. I myself was puzzled in, in the last week or so where McAuliffe brought in Biden and Harris, and he knows that the, the Democrat numbers Stacey Abrams, Obama. Tank, so, yeah, I mean, McAuliffe should have made it a local race about local issues and his performance, and instead he nationalized it. So I did think he made a major mistake in the last two weeks. Right. And you know what Youngkin said? I don't want anybody. I just want to talk about Virginia. Mm -hmm. So I don't believe that this will be a loss for Obama, Stacey Abrams, Joe Biden, Jill Biden, all who put their personal clout. Everybody except Michelle Obama, every famous Democrat alive um, showed up for for McAuliffe and he lost points. 
Right. I mean, it seems like in the last couple of weeks when they've had those big names in, it's not been good timing in this race for McAuliffe. But here's the thing. He has constantly talked about Trump and trying to link Glenn Youngkin and Trump as if they're joint. That's another good point. Yeah. Um, So I feel like if you want to nationalize a race by trying to bring Trump into the Youngkin camp and by bringing in all of the heavy hitters on your side who are the big national names, that's a very – specific choice. Um, I don't know how that's going to play with the people of Virginia. Again, Northern Virginia, which is very heavily populated, D.C. suburbs, that kind of thing, they may respond to that. But we have not seen the crowds showing up for these big events um, with some of those big Democratic names where Youngkin is having overflow crowds. Listen, I learned my lesson that you cannot predict you know, elections based on that, because I remember the huge crowds uh, that Romney and Paul Ryan were having in Northern Virginia right before Election Day. Um, So I feel like it's anecdotal, but it's interesting. So um, it sounds like Terry McAuliffe has decided to make this a national debate. And um, if he does that, he does it at great risk because of the challenges the Biden administration is facing right now. Lastly, Andrew Cuomo charged with misdemeanor sex crimes uh, in New York, uh, charged with groping a former aide in Albany's executive mansion, the crime that could send him to jail for a year. I understand the attorney general of New York didn't know about it. A sheriff charged him with it. Could you unwind how much trouble you believe on the surface without probing deeply in the case? Using your legal background, Shannon, he's in. Honestly, if it only remains this case, I don't think it's going to be terrible for him, only because he'd be considered a first-time offender if convicted. Um, You know, good luck finding a a completely unbiased jury pool. They've heard a lot about this governor in the last few months. The problem is that we understand there could potentially be other criminal investigations. That's If they start to add up, that's a real issue for him. But honestly, if this is the only one that actually gets to some kind of trial and he's convicted, I think as a one-time or first-time um, you know, offender, it, it wouldn't be the end of the world for him. Uh, you know, it's not the end of the world, just the beginning of a new world. Shannon Breen, this is your last appearance with me today. Uh, I was supposed to be on the five. As we had some scheduling issues. Well, you're a popular man. Right. But I'll be on the seven tonight at prime time. Do you have cable? Um, I don't. I can't afford that, but right. I have the Fox News app. Yeah, do that. Watch me Can on I that because I'm there? slightly delayed. I'm like two seconds off on that. Well, that's good for your cursing and stuff. I feel more comfortable. Right. With I have life. a very salty mouth. <laughs> but great job last night finishing off the show. Thank you. And I'll see you on the five. Then we'll see you on the seven. And then I'll see you at midnight. How about that? That'll be great. Shannon Bream's got a lot of work to do. I'm glad she's in New York. Stay indoors. Uh, we have no more cops left. And don't don't okay. get a heart attack because we have no EMTs. But besides that. Well, I know karate. So <laughs> yeah. Which you took in third grade. Shannon Bream, thanks right. so much. Thanks. All right, listen, just a quick reminder, uh, President of Freedom Fighter, uh, if you're listening, I'm probably coming to a city near you. We have had 36 separate stops. Uh, it is Frederick Douglass, Abraham Lincoln, and the Battle to Save America's Soul. Uh, in West Virginia, my first time I'm going on stage to talk about all these books since the pandemic hit. I cannot wait to see everybody out there. Uh, go to Charleston, in Charleston, West Virginia. In Orlando, November 21st, December 3rd and 4th. Uh, in Clearwater on the 4th, just a handful of seats left. Ponte Vedra is sold out. So besides that, I have other stops, more traditional. But these are more audience-driven VIP opportunities, a chance to really meet you guys in person and talk about the war on American history. And I have an editorial about to come out on foxnews.com because Condoleezza Rice's conversation on The View really is something that plays right into the Frederick Douglass-Abraham Lincoln debate. You listen to The Brian Kilmeade Show. Educating. Entertaining. Enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. 
Welcome back. I'm just watching an awkward exchange between the President of the United States at the G20 and President Macron of France, where he's reckoning and bringing back Lafayette as talking about our relationship and the heritage of our uh, of our uh, partnership. But what they're upset about, and I'm glad that President Biden did just communicate it, that he upended the Australian nuclear submarine missile deal. It cost private companies in France billions of dollars they've been working on for 10 years because they didn't tell them. And Joe Biden evidently was totally in the dark on it by his own government cutting off, cutting this deal. And now I guess Macron's got to look tough to President Biden. Uh, and by President Biden is bringing up, my father once told me, Lafayette came here in the Revolutionary War. We thank you for that, helping you. So I'm sure it's going to be spun, uh, it's going to be spun in a positive way. But just so you know, it's flat out embarrassing. Let's find out if there's more to know. More to know. Sponsored by Oxford Gold Group. Call today to learn how you can protect your retirement and savings account. 833-600-GOLD. That's 833-600-GOLD. The NAACP is urging pro athletes to avoid deals with Texas teams. This is a joke. Uh, They say over the past few months, legislators in Texas have passed archaic policy disguised as laws. All about election laws. If you're black and avoid Texas, if you were... Uh, if you want to lower chances of dying from coronavirus, avoid Texas. Really? They had better better numbers in almost every other state. They don't mandate and tell you what to do. I think a lot of athletes appreciate that, hence Kyrie Irving. So I hope they all ignore this. Big Wall Street Journal story today. So you're not going to sign a long-term deal with, uh, with the Texans, with the Astros, with the Rangers, or with uh, FC Austin, even though Matthew McConaughey's there? Next, Peter urges Major League Baseball to stop offending cows, replace the bullpen with arm barn. That was an idea, Pete, you had already. Do you feel as though they stole this idea from you? Yeah, it's just, I mean, with all the things that are happening with animal mistreatment, this is the most important issue. Exactly. Renaming of the bullpen to the arm barn, because that'll really uh, get the <laughs> right. message across. Because the bulls, uh, the bulls are really complaining about the way they're treated. I did not know. Now you, you have a horse. That's similar to a bull, right, Allison? I mean, they both have hooves. Right. So there you go. Exactly. Uh, is this something that is uh, addressing a, a, a seething, a, a simmering problem in America? I think PETA did a very good job about getting their name in the headlines over something totally irrelevant. Next, the deadly rush shooting probe is focusing on why live rounds were on the set. That is the most common question in America. The key question focusing on during the investigation, how they got there. Uh, as far as we understand, according to the sheriff, live rounds should not be on the set. Everybody that we've spoken to knows that live rounds should not be on the set. Why they were there is going to be the main question. That's pretty interesting. Uh, that, according to Sheriff Adam Mendoza, who use, refuses to use the term accident yet. I heard that, which is very, very interesting indeed. Why? I, I mean, well, wh- you don't know, right? I mean, you don't know, I mean, Baldwin, but then what about the prop guy? Like, was it an accident? Why were well, live rounds there? mistakenly handed him a hot gun. I have not heard anybody walk that back. But the question is, why was Baldwin in a rehearsal, which they say they weren't rolling on? Mm-hmm. I'm not an actor, so I don't know how uncommon that is to do rehearsal and not roll on it. To point it right at the cameraman. I would agree with that. But also, I mean, how common is it if it's a rehearsal to even have anything in the barrel? Yep. Next. Well, same story, really. Alec Baldwin resurfaced in Brabant, but he's wearing the same beard and everything that makes him look like a homeless 1880s cowboy. Um, He was evidently in a quaint town, I guess trying not to make a lot of publicity. Uh, The owner of the Italian market, Chris Standard, told Fox in an interview... Uh, that he was on foot picking up food to order nearby. 
Uh, Monday afternoon he was there. Uh, quote, I was taking out my trash, and my acquaintance that works for me said, you won't believe which is who just came in here. TMZ first shared a photo of the family getting takeout in the restaurant. I just feel bad for him. There's no way he's a killer. There's no way he meant to do that. I don't care what the investigation says. No, I totally agree with you. And I think as a lot of people feel that way, even though they have different yeah. feelings about Baldwin and general. Right. Nothing to do with your feelings. It's a tragedy all around. But thanks so much for listening. Watch me tonight at 7. Prime time. The Will Kane Show is now dropping five episodes a week. Join Fox and Friends weekend host Will Kane as he tackles the latest headlines from his unique perspective, along with thought-provoking interviews with leading figures and live calls from viewers and listeners. Listen wherever you download your favorite podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.